landscaping in Bents Avenue Median to help add some beautification and interest. There's an empty field that could be put to good use. Parking to the rear of homes along East Patrick could help with traffic flow. Ensure our historic neighborhoods keep their character. Those are a few comments from the City of Frederick's interactive map questionnaire. The city is in the beginning steps of creating its comprehensive plan, which will last for 10 years. To learn more about the plan and how interactive maps like this help the city, I asked Mayor Michael O'Connor to tell us more. Um, so I guess, can you start off by just explaining a little bit about what's going on with the comprehensive plan? The comprehensive plan is the city's long-range master plan. So in an ideal world, this is a document that gets updated about once every 10 years. It's a required document under state land use uh, articles. But beyond that, it's uh, it's really an important tool for the city of Frederick to look at our, our long-range growth patterns, how we think we're going to grow, where we want to grow, we want what we want that to look like. And it's the first step in a larger conversation then on all of the regulations and zoning maps and other tools that we will use and develop to help bring that comprehensive planning document into into fruition. So uh, it's been uh, about 10 years uh, plus since the last time the city did a comp plan update, so we're due. All right. So you mentioned that it's done every 10 years, but how long does it take to actually set a comprehensive plan? It may take uh, from start to finish by the time you begin with uh, early engagement, which is really where we are right now, to actually getting a final adopted plan that will go through numerous uh, additional public opportunities. It'll get hearings before the planning commission. It will get workshops uh, before the planning commission, workshops and public hearings before the, the board of aldermen. It may be as, uh, as long as a year or so from, from start to finish to really make sure that you've got a, a good plan that's gotten a lot of good public feedback and a lot of good involvement from the community. All right. Well, since you mentioned public feedback, one thing I know that you're doing is this interactive map questionnaire. So where did the idea come from to have this interactive tool I'm going to give the credit to my planning department in terms of the many different ways in which you can begin uh, public outreach. We knew that one of the components that is kind of standard in a process like this is a survey. And so there's a, a questionnaire that uh, people who visit the comp plan section of the city's website, and there's a link to it right off the city's homepage. Uh, they can take a questionnaire, which asks them kind of basic questions about listing what their priorities, what are the things that the city should pay most attention to as we look at this update to the comprehensive plan. The additional component is this interactive mapping feature. So it allows individuals to to bring up a map of the city of Frederick, and if there's a particular neighborhood or location or intersection or piece of land or whatever that uh, they've got some thoughts about one way or another, they can drop a pin there and they can submit those comments. And then we make sure that the comments are, are generally appropriate and, uh, and, and relate to the comp plan process. Those then get uh, put out there and anybody can go to the, the city's website and see the comments that folks have left previously with regards to different neighborhoods or different parts of the city of Frederick. It's a really interesting tool to just another way to gather some real-time thoughts from the community about specific places in the city and what they think about them. Well, so I pulled it up, and off the bat, I noticed that there was a lot of red pins there. Were you surprised by the response? 
I'm never surprised by the response we get from the community when we give them opportunities to engage with what it is that we're doing. This is a, a community that cares a lot about what's happening in this community. And one of the ways in which we know we can never go wrong is to ask them to participate in the process. If we've ever made mistakes in the past, it's been because we didn't ask people enough or early enough or often enough um, what they think. So um, I'm not surprised that given this um, opportunity, that uh, people are taking advantage of it. And um, it's important for us while that uh, tool is available, um, and I don't know for sure off the top of my head how much longer folks will be able to participate in quite this way. We want as many people to take advantage of it as they can. Well, you mentioned that you have to make sure the comments are appropriate, and this is the internet, and this is a tool on the internet. About how many of the comments are mostly serious? Well, so everything that actually makes it onto everything, everything that's got a red dot now has been reviewed by our planning department, and they said yes, this is relatable to the comp plan in some way or another. So we should, we should. I don't know how many comments the the planning department has reviewed and and rejected. All right. So how does it work exactly? So if I'm on this map and I have an issue, say at the Frederick News Post building, I want to say something about the parking lot or something around here. How do I exactly? Put a pin on and what's the process from me entering what i think to it getting to the planning uh, department so i can't tell you all of the logistics on the back end mm -hmm. side i know that when when i entered the comment that i put on the map uh you you click on a spot and it should open up a dialog box and that dialog box will give you some options in terms of the comment and what you want to do and when you've completed whatever it is that you want to say and i don't know what the size the length restriction is but some of the comments are are somewhat lengthy and some are really short. You hit submit and it goes through a review process. My my hope or expectation would be that might take a you know a couple of days or not longer than a week I would think for that uh, comment to be curated by someone who says, "Yep, this seems like a good one. Let's go ahead and attach it to the map." And so are these coming to you to look at, or is this just for the entire city government to be able to look at? It's going really to the planning department because that's who's leading this effort. So this is an effort of our of the 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 comp plan urban design division of our uh, planning department. So we have a, a current planning division and we have a, a comp plan and urban design. And so this is going to that side of the house. So I imagine that our, our lead, our, our division manager in that area is the one who's reviewing these comments. And um, all of this is part of that data collection. So this is all of the baseline data that we're gathering as we look to which sections of our comp plan are our residents most focused on, what areas of the planning process do they want us to pay particular attention to as we move forward. And so far, just looking at this, have you learned anything or is there an area of Frederick that you weren't expecting to people to comment on? No, I, th I think if, if people take the time, everybody's got opinions about their own neighborhood. And I think when you look at this map, you see that um, we're getting comments from neighborhoods all over the city of Frederick. We're getting comments about neighborhoods mm. all over the city of Frederick. My assumption is that means those comments are coming from neighborhoods all over the city of Frederick because everybody knows what they know. And so if I see an intersection out in front of my house that I know has got, you know, regular issues with something about it, that's a place where I'm going to drop a pin and say the city, as part of their comp plan process, really ought to be looking at the design of this intersection or the way in which the lanes are laid out or look at this development over here that looks like um, it needs more park facilities or uh, maybe this is an area where the housing density is not what it should be or whatever the comment might be.
And, you know, Frederick's a lot bigger than I think a lot of people think about because you have the downtown, but then you have the surrounding areas. Are most of the commons in downtown or are they everywhere in the ca- city? The downtown certainly brings its, uh, its the, the attention. It, it is the, the, uh, an area that I think nearly everyone in Frederick, if they care about their own neighborhood, the other neighborhood that they care about most acutely is what happens in downtown. And so I think it's an area that draws a lot of attention. It has historically been um, the most active and engaged uh, area at election time. That center core of the city of Frederick is where we get the largest voter turnout. And so I would expect those residents to be particularly tuned in to these kinds of, of processes. Um, so I would expect to see pins all over the map. I would expect to see a lot of those pins about downtown Frederick. And with this, so you mentioned the questionnaire that is available as well. How do you think having a map where people can actually pick a location to indicate that there's an issue or comment there? How does that help give data versus a questionnaire? Well, the questionnaire is more generic in terms of the things that it's asking about. So it's asking you to rank some priorities. You know, what's 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 more important? If you could if you could pick three things off of a list that we should focus our attention on, what would you pick? Housing or transportation or parks or sustainability or economic development or police services or whatever it is. So it's it's very broad. It's very open ended. The the mapping tool really lets people get down to the kind of granular level, the neighborhood level to say, here's something I see in my neighborhood every day that I'm interested in seeing the city take a look at. And um, I just think it's a, people maybe don't often know the, the, the names of the, of the streets perhaps, or even the names of the neighborhood, or um, it, they're, they're going to have more familiarity. Say, well, I know I've been on this side of town and I've seen this thing. Oh, okay, yes, that's the location where the, the city ought to look at something. So I, I think there's an educational component as it as well to get people, as you said, I think the city, People who live in a certain neighborhood and don't really think about the corporate boundaries of the city every day the way I do and the 73,000 people that live here every day quite the way I do, I just think it's another way to tune them in to uh, the many different aspects of the city. Well, and I just picked on a couple of these um, pins, and one of them um, I'm kind of interested in. It ha- mentions um, that there should be a consistent set of lamppost-based lights so people can see signs. That seems really specific. Is that stuff that goes into the comprehensive plan? It might not necessarily go into the comp plan that way. That gets into the more of the implementation side of it. It is something that we've actually been in the process of doing over over a number of years of the, of the street signs, for example. People might see a couple of different styles of street signs in the city of Frederick because we've been in a process over the last several years of up updating our street light, our street signs to new standards. So there's a whole other set of traffic regulations that we that we work to comply with. But there there is to me, and um, I think your your colleague here at the newspaper was sort of surprised, Colin McGuire, when he was asking me some of these same kinds of questions that almost everything that the public said I could find something that we use useful in. I think what what stands out to me about somebody who would talk about consistency and something like that is that how our neighborhoods look and feel um, is important to people. And a consistency of style, a consistency of, of signage, a consistency of the type of, of infrastructure that's in place there, um, street lamps or whatever it is, that's important to people because those things help to tell a story about uh, a community and about how a community feels. And if you've got a community that's got street lights that are taken care of, that all look the same, that all feel the same, I think people feel feel good. It helps them to feel better about their community because they know the city cares enough to look at those kinds of consistency issues. And so as we look at the broader comp plan 
question, how we build consistency of design, consistency of building standards, consistency is really important to our residents. And so that is a very micro kind of suggestion, but I think it speaks to the broader goal of what we want, which is to make sure that our planning processes bring some consistency to all neighborhoods in the city of Frederick and that we not necessarily put all of our time and attention into only the downtown, for example. Now, I know you probably haven't had a chance to look at every single pin, but of I've the looked ones, at, I've <laughs> looked at a number of them. But of the ones that you have looked at, has there been any that really stuck out as like a thought of like, oh, I didn't even think about this? But uh, boy, I spend so much time thinking about the city. It's it's it occupies every waking uh, moment. It feels like sometimes, and so I, it's it's. I, I want to say I don't want to say that it's hard to surprise me, um, but in some respects it's hard to surprise me. I might not think about it, and nothing jumps to mind in terms of thinking about it in exactly that way. Um, maybe some of the some there were some comments about Hood College specifically, which we don't have any control over. Um, and I guess I would say, well, I would hope that folks would know that anything that might happen at the Hood College campus doesn't really. Um, pertain to the city of Frederick's ability to do something. Um, I'm, I'm surprised sometimes when people are really specific enough with, uh, with a, a comment that it really shows they've given a lot of thought to the planning process in the city, that they know a lot about the planning process in the city of Frederick or the comp plan uh, it, itself. Um, people really care about transportation um, and transportation connectivity is a really important consideration as we look at this document long term how do we how do we cite development and um, create development opportunities that will enhance our transportation corridors and our transportation connectedness we want Frederick to remain a a bikeable and walkable community but it's going to have to serve cars as well and so how do we take the elements of a complete streets policy that we've already adopted and fold those concepts into our comp plan how do we take elements of sustainability Uh, we know we're trying to make commitments every day to build a more resilient community a more sustainable community how does that translate into planning principles that as we build a comp plan we're sure as new development adheres to that comp plan that it's achieving some of these ideals well so i want to point out one that says um, move the soup kitchen to a more purpose-built facility and so the city's kind of interesting especially the downtown because you have areas that are very affluent but also areas that are pretty low on the socioeconomic level so when looking at something like a comprehensive plan, we have to consider everything. How do you think about, you know, keeping down crime, but also providing a place for those who don't have a home or those who cannot afford um, to pay some of the higher market rates? Well, and I think that that's really the complexity of the of the process of government. Um, we are fortunate in Frederick and have been on on for twenty plus years on a, a declining. A crime trend in the city of Frederick. So despite a growth in population, all of the data supports the reduction of crime and the strategies that we've been um, implementing over, you know, two plus decades in our police department to not just have our residents feel safe, but to have them be safe um, where they live. We are also a community that historically has provided support to those who are in need, whether it's through the efforts of the Community Action Agency and the soup kitchen and the food bank that are located in that building and have been located in that location since the early 90s to the work that the rescue mission does or that Hartley House may do or that other the way station or the United Way, other nonprofit providers in our community. So we've been very fortunate in a community like Frederick to have a lot of um, 
philanthropic uh, endeavors that are out there to provide that support across the economic spectrum. Affordable housing is one of those elements that's really critical as we look at the comp plan moving forward. We know we want to build more housing. We know a portion of that housing has to be either through incentive or naturally occurring affordable for the expanse of people who are going to live here. Providing services to people in need in the location that best meets the needs for those services is a critically important issue for us to examine. And in in seeing that kind of a comment come through our comp plan process tells me that our community is tuned in to the need for us to be a community that provides for all levels of income in the community, but that it needs to occur in a way that's uh, appropriate and responsible and responsive to the needs of, of, of those who are looking for that kind of service. So another one was about stormwater, and I know that is a long-standing problem, um, but the city of Frederick did do a pretty comprehensive stormwater management program several years ago, is my understanding, um, but there continues to be some flooding. So now that you have another comprehensive plan coming up, how do you look for 10 years of flooding as we possibly could have worse storms in different climate changing. Right. So uh, climate change is real. And um, when when a severe flooding affected downtown Frederick in the mid-1970s, the decision was made then to do the large flood control project that uh, is manifested today above ground as the Carroll Creek Linear Park. Uh, what we know as a result of some of the storms that have occurred over the last um, five or so years, um, almost at a rate of one per year, storms that we might have previously considered to be relatively infrequent, um, the kind of storm that caused the flooding in downtown Frederick that led to the flood control project, we have to take a more comprehensive look at the built environment, particularly these older neighborhoods like North Market Street at the numbered streets of 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th. Um, the neighborhood that's just west of Route 15, really east, east and west of Route 15 around Hood College, between Hood College and, and Fort Detrick. Uh, these, are, these are older neighborhoods built before there was any thought given to either quality or quantity stormwater management. And uh, as we look now to retrofit and mitigate for these more severe storms that we've seen over the last couple of years, we already have in place new stormwater management regulations that ensure that new development that comes into the city of Frederick is really meeting both that quality and quantity uh, stormwater management. How we deal with the old stuff is going to be a real challenge. Um, I fully expect that the comp, the comp plan, as we updated, is, is going to speak very carefully about the need to build in community resilience to account for climate change. Our real challenge from an administrative perspective now is, is, as I've said, going back to some of these older neighborhoods. We did it in downtown. We're going to have to look in some of these other older built areas and, and really take a hard look at what are the improvements we can make that can ensure that the quality of life of those residents doesn't get affected every time we get a rainstorm of two inches per hour. All right. And for you, you've gone to you know, be a mayor during the time of someone else's comprehensive plan. Um, how are you planning to take what you've learned as being a mayor who was already set by one plan and building and helping to build the city build the next plan? Well, I think the beauty of the comp plan process is it's not 
and I say this in all sincerity, it's not about Michael O'Connor. It's not about me. Um, this is about the city of Frederick. And so what you really want to commit to is a strong process. And the process that, that we have starts with community engagement and getting all of that feedback. It's being led by planning professionals, the people who work for the city today who know planning principles and good design and good good comp plan met methodologies. It's going to do that data collection, and they're going to do what they do in terms of writing the, the narrative that speaks to a lot of those priorities. That document is going to go to the public, and it's going to go to our planning commission, people who are appointed to look very carefully at the regulations and the documents that inform uh, growth and development in the city of Frederick. It's going to get a recommendation with a lot of public input from our planning commission, it's going to come to the elected officials of the city of Frederick, another group of people that presumably keep their fingers on the pulse of the community so that the public, when they respond to the document, when it's in the Board of Aldermen's hand, that a lot of people will, when all is said and done, have put their fingerprints on this document. And if it's done well, which I'm confident that it will be, it's really going to take into account all of those voices. And so at that point, it really is a document that speaks to the priorities of the people of the city of Frederick, not necessarily one set of elected officials. And I think that helps with the continuity from administration to administration because it isn't just one person's vision. Ideally, it's the vision of the community. And how do you think the last comprehensive plan stood up to the last 10 years? I think I think it did pretty well. It's it's the the piece that you cannot never predict is is changes in development patterns. So the last comprehensive plan that the city adopted was done just prior to the recession of uh, 2009. It was it was right in that time frame that we were looking at um, the comp plan in the city of Frederick. And so there was a different expectation perhaps about how growth would occur, about where office development was going, about where commercial development was going. And what we've seen over the last 10 years um, with the Amazon effect and um, depressed housing prices generally is a change in development patterns. And so what we have to be responsive to and what you can never really predict is if you knew what the next 10 years were going to look like, you might not need a comp plan document to, to take you there. And so a tool that can be flexible enough to respond to the needs of the marketplace that's open to the possibilities that in the next 10 years, we're going to see recession. We may see changes in housing patterns and housing types. We could see changes in the office environment or in um, commercial real estate or retail. How do we have a plan that is adaptable to those kinds of changes when it comes? So it's really important for the, for the comp plan, I think, to speak to the goals and ideals of what we're trying to achieve without, in its narrative, focusing specifically on we're going to do this to this particular parcel. We have to have ideas about what we want and allow the plan to be structured in a way that as new development comes forward, because the changes that come in the comp plan are largely going to come because of the investment of outside dollars, some with the city's support, but most of it from, from the investment of the private sector. How do we want to make sure that they've got a, a, a roadmap to follow to take us to where it is that we want to go. And so with that, why 10 years? Why not five years or something a little bit smaller? I think it's the, uh, one, it's a, it's a fairly robust process and it would be a difficult process to undertake every five years. I also uh, would say that, you know, 10 years is a, is a good framework uh, upon which you can probably meaningfully look out 
to say here's here's an, enough time will have gone by that we can reasonably have some thoughts about what we would want 10 years from now. But when we get to that 10-year point, we'll be able to look back and see where we need to make um, adjustments. It's probably, um, that's maybe the art side of this process. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of art and a little bit science and uh, the, the simple um, sort of wonky political government answer is that because that's what the state land use article says, you should update this every 10 years. But I, I think that's been arrived at through um, a, some kind of you know, trial and error process so that 10 years is about the amount of time that a document like this. I think we know from the last plan that, that we're, we're just reaching the point where enough has changed in the city that now is the time for us to take another look at this and update it. So I think it's just the time is right. All right. So I know this is not your plan. This is the city's plan. But any hopes or goals that you have for the city in the next 10 years? My my hopes and goals speak to um, things that have been talked about um, and which I've talked about since I've been here, which is um, our commitment to a community that serves um, that uh, broad uh, spectrum of, of incomes. So having uh, a housing supply that really does meet the needs of our community at all levels um, the creation of more live work opportunities so that um, we have communities, new communities that grow up in the city of Frederick and our ability to retrofit old communities to do this to allow people to conveniently um, bike and walk to jobs that satisfy their um, their needs as, a, as an individual or as a family. Um, the strategic plan process that's nearing its completion, there's been a lot of effort to take up some of the some of the data that was gathered as part of that process and be able to layer that into the comp plan process as well so that we're not losing any of the public input that we, we've taken on that. That's a 10-year plan as well that um, looks at the city reaching a population of about 85,000 people by, by 2030. What is the infrastructure that we're going to need transportation-wise to uh, accommodate that? What are we going to need from a, from a parks perspective to make sure that we're continuing to provide uh, current and opportunities for residents to, to recreate in our community. So affordability, uh, transportation connectivity, maintaining a high quality of life. Um, these are, to me, core ideals that have to be reflected in our, our comprehensive planning document. And the, the growth boundaries of the city of Frederick are not limitless. And so we also have to be aware that if we're going to accommodate um, the new residents that we know are coming, looking at our density um, in, in appropriate ways um, to make sure that we can maximize the infrastructure that's already in place to the greatest extent possible and not necessarily spread the boundaries of the city in, in ways that we perhaps can't support. That's going to happen. We're going to see annexations. We're going to see our boundaries grow. But we, had, we still have lots of opportunities to um, infill and redevelop some of our corridors in the city of Frederick in ways that can really be um, smarter growth with real live-work neighborhoods in Frederick. All right. Well, I think you've answered all my questions. Anything else we should know? I would just strongly encourage the public to continue to um, check into the city's website to um, take advantage of the, the outreach that's available here at the beginning of the comp plan process and to really stay plugged in throughout this. The opportunities for public engagement throughout this are going to be there, and um, we don't ever want to miss an opportunity for our community to be involved in what we're trying to accomplish. And as you mentioned, you can get to the both the questionnaire and the map through a banner on the website's on phone the, page. On the city's website, yep. 
All right. Absolutely. Heather, thank you. Thank you. Frederick is not the only city currently looking to its future. I headed down south to Brunswick, where I spoke with Councilman Nathan Brown about the movement underway to create a conservation district downtown. All right, so can you just start off by explaining a little bit of the background about the um, Preservation and Revitalization Committee, how that formed and what they've been doing? So um, we, the council was interested in um, having a committee formed that kind of looked at the possibilities of a conservation district or a historic preservation district and kind of what that would look like and what that would entail. So we voted to form a committee um, that would begin looking into what, you know, what the possibilities are, what design guidelines would look like, if we should have a um, a district or not have a district, kind of looking at other areas across the state, what they've done, what's worked well, what hasn't worked well. Um, so that's kind of um, the council voted for that and then that's kind of what the committee's been working on since. All right, perfect. So can you explain a little bit about what a conservation district is? So a conservation district, if, if were to be adopted here in Brunswick, would um, kind of be the first one um, in the state it, it would there are some that are out there but ours would kind of be unique as far as as being the first one in the state that would be um, kind of developed like it is with design guidelines um, the a conservation district really allows more flexibility and that's what the committee has found through their research and kind of why they're leaning in that direction it allows when you do a historic preservation district um, you tend to follow the secretary of interior standards as far as when you go to renovate buildings and the facades etc there's already guidelines that are out there. Um, lots of places um, through our research we've heard kind of complain about that, especially areas that are have a lot high vacancy. Um, you know, it's difficult to attract investors to come in and then want to renovate these buildings and then have to meet those strict standards. So we're hoping a conservation district allows us a little bit more flexibility uh, so that we do preserve, preserve kind of our history and our historic character in our buildings, but allows us to be realistic with people that would want to come in and, and purchase the building or kind of develop them into something. So you mentioned the um, preservation that would go into a conservation district. How would that also revitalize the downtown area? So basically, um, the committee's research has really shown that areas that kind of um, play into their history, you know, they, they really... Um, kind of salute to your history so to speak that really does help with in the revitalization efforts i mean especially if you look at areas like downtown frederick and cumberland and those areas um where where you take these historic buildings and you kind of reuse them so to speak and you you transform them in, into today's needs what people are looking for such as restaurants uh, boutique stores etc um people really like that you know they like to come in and learn about the history and still be able to stop and eat and go to coffee shops and things like that we've already seen that with um, Smoketown Brewing Station you know they've played very well into the the history there um, and, and been able to really you know play on that with their their business model as well as Beans in the Belfry which has been very successful here for a long time as well you know in transforming an old church and and kind of playing to the character of that so I think there's definitely a market for that people are interested in coming to places with these historic buildings and these historic characteristics in their downtown but being able to find you know businesses that speak to today's needs so walk me through what it would look like if we are able to get a conservation district downtown 
So basically, if the mayor and council were to pass a conservation district, um, we would have a specific boundary that that, that district would um, have. There would also be design guidelines, which is kind of what the group is working on and, and looking at the different areas and pulling those together. So the property owners or business owners in that specific district would, would follow those guidelines. It would really help us keep... Um, kind of the historic make and feel downtown so what 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 I think it would spark and what it would help with is is it would show that the city is committed to kind of keeping our historic areas intact and hopefully it would it would spark developers and business owners and property owners to come in and kind of reuse these properties so you would see you know older buildings transformed into usable space for today but you know the facades and things on the outside would kind of um, be kept with their historic feel. So I know that this kind of came out as we were hearing discussions on Railroad Square, which I know that project is kind of on hold right now with, because of tax credits. But with something like that, when if they were going to build a new building, would they would would they keep some of the elements of this new building? Would that be something that ju would just be seen on the outside, or could they also incorporate that in the inside? So really, I think. Um, there's a lot of different things there. Um, really with any project, the design guidelines that are being worked on with the committee do speak to new construction as well. So the thought process is if you do have new construction um, in your conservation district, you would want people to build them that, uh, build the new construction that complements the rest of the district. So um, I think overall, if the district were to pass with the specific boundary, it would send a message from the city that we are trying to keep a look and feel in this area. Um, and, and, you know, people would have to follow those specific um, design guidelines, which would be helpful. I think as well, you know, based on my research with this this committee and working with them over the last several months, uh, you do see lots of areas that that will, when there's a clear defined vision and plan in a specific area, you f you find that developers do come in and they do play to that. You know, they learn the history and they may take an old building and transform it into apartments or transform it into a coffee house or whatever it may be. And they do try to um, kind of play to the historic nature of, of that specific area. So I think, uh, you know, us taking the step of adopting a, a district and adopting those design guidelines does send a message that this is what we're interested in and what we're looking for in this specific area. And so um, I know that for the past couple of months, um, there's been a demolition moratorium, and that's something that's going to be discussed tonight um, for whether to see if it's going to get extended um, as a request to the committee. Um, how does having a demolition moratorium help this committee? So the committee actually had um, a lot of discussions about the, with the moratorium expiring in October, there was discussion, sh should that be extended? Does that help the committee? And the conversations that I heard come out of the committee and at, at the presentation they made to the mayor and council was, um, it is important to extend the moratorium while the work is, go is ongoing. And that just kind of ensures that you don't have a drastic change in the specific area you're looking at um, before the work is completed. And the, the mayor and council can discuss and decide if this is the right direction for the city to move in for this specific area. Um, so the the committee was was very adamant that and and they've looked at other areas as well and other areas have done this um so their recommendation was unanimous that we should continue continue this moratorium to allow the committee to continue doing their work until they turn over final recommendations to the city 
And so, you know, if they go forward with a conservation district complete in the next 18 months or so, is this a committee that will stay formed or is this a one purpose committee that will end once the conservation district is up and running? So the mayor and I have discussed that a little bit, just kind of in passing. I don't think anything's been decided. Um, I think he and I would both like to see the committee continue and I think there's other work that they can do. For example, um, when you create a conservation district or you have a district that kind of plays to your historic character, there are lots of different tax credit grant fundings and things out there to help support that. Uh, the state you know, and the federal government I think recognize that um, taking a historic building and kind of transforming it to today's code and making it a usable space is not cheap. So there are lots of programs and processes out there. So I personally would like to see the committee kind of look at those things and, and help bring those things to Brunswick and kind of bring a process here that, okay, so now we have the conservation district and the guidelines. Here's how we can help you kind of achieve the full potential with some of these buildings. And so what are the next steps, um, especially once the con uh, committee is done with deciding whether they want a conservation district or not? So basically from the presentation that they had um, and the discussions that we've had in our committee meetings, um, we are soliciting feedback on the design guidelines. We would like to work with the Main Street program to get their feedback on that. We also plan to send um, the design guidelines to the um, Maryland Historical Trust and the Department of Housing and Community Development to get their feedback just to make sure that they think this is something that makes sense um, for our area and and things that they've seen in the past since they are kind of they have experts there on on historical um, preservation so after that we would bring that all back together and kind of turn over a formal recommendation of here's our design guidelines and here are the the boundary that they recommend. Um, so with that, what we what we see as going forward is the committee would like to have a joint workshop with the mayor and council to kind of get public feedback, have the public be able to review these guidelines. We would, you know, put them on the website. Um, there was even talk, you know, that we would send letters to all the property owners that would be in, in the area that the conservation district would cover. And then, like I said, we would have, you know, have a, probably a series of public workshops to allow the public to come in voice their concerns, uh, what they like, what they don't like, and kind of go from there in tweaking the, uh, the information that we put out. All right, perfect. Well, I think you've answered all my questions. Anything else you think we should know? No, I think that's everything. Thank you, guys. Right. Thank you. Thanks. Now, I spoke with Brown Tuesday before the mayor and council meeting. Since then, they have voted to extend the downtown moratorium for another year. Now, I hope you're not too hungry because food and education reporter Katrina Pereira is here to tell you about her latest food review. So this week I went to Manalu Italian restaurant over in the Westview Shopping Center. And what did you think? Um, it was quite good. Um, I would say eight times out of ten it was quite good. <laughs> um, there were a few things that I was a little bit disappointed in um, with, which you can read about in my review, but... Overall, um, I gave it four out of five stars. All right. So I understand you went back about three times to get a good feel for the restaurant? Yes. And was each time different or was it pretty consistent? Um, there was, I would say the second time that I went, um, I don't know if it was just the dishes that I ordered or if they were maybe having an off day, um, but both dishes that I had ordered the second time I went um, were a little disappointing. Um, but... The other two times that I went, I was kind of, you know, really impressed. 
All right. So full disclosure, I went on one of those times. Yes, you did. (laughs) And you mentioned that you're a little biased because you got to spend some months in Italy. So how did it measure up to Italian food from Italy? (sighs) This is so hard for me because I am definitely biased. I spent close to four or five months in Italy and I've been back again since. So I definitely have a higher standard for Italian food. Um, I would say that it depends on the dish. Um, there are certain dishes from Monolu that definitely meet my standards, and there are others that did not. Um, but I actually find that that's quite um, common among Italian restaurants in the United States, just because Italian food here has been really Americanized. Um, so depending on the restaurant and what you order, it can either be really, really authentic or the restaurant can put its own spin on it. And what made you want to try this restaurant? So I had heard actually a lot about it um, and a lot of high praise. Um, People had told me that, you know, that's their kind of go-to Italian restaurant in the area. Others I heard that work nearby always take their business clients there. Um, So I wanted to try it out and I realized that we had not written about it since 2014. So five years later, I, I thought, you know, it's time to go back. And compared to what we did in 2014, did it measure up? I think it did. Um, we wrote a pretty good review about it in 2014, and, and I would say it, it did maintain its uh, high rating. All right. Well, and so everyone can read your review to get a better idea, but what are some of the go-tos that people should get in case they listen to this review and go before your um, piece comes out on Thursday? Sure. Um if you go, if you go for dinner, I highly recommend the their signature dis, dish, which is the ravioli monte e mare. It's um, a black squid ink ravioli stuffed with lobster, and accompanied in like a like a tomato cream sauce with a variety of seafood. There are scallops in there. There are shrimp, um, maybe a mussel or two, um, and I had that, and it was really really good Um, and it's a really nice dinner dish Um, if you're going for lunch you know maybe something simple like the baked ziti it's a really nice lunch portion it's not too big and it's not too heavy Um, or any of the appetizers to be honest they were all quite good well and so squid ink is a little bit different so for Mm -hmm. those who've never had it anything that they should know about um The only thing that the squid ink really adds is the color. So your ravioli is going to taste like any other ravioli. It's just going to be black. Um, And all it is is that they mix the squid ink into the pasta dough when they're making the ravioli, which gives it the color. All right. Well, anything else people should know? Um, The wait staff at Monolu is incredibly friendly and incredibly welcoming. And, you know, if you go in and you're unsure of what to order, definitely ask your waiter because I know that they will be more than happy to recommend dishes for you. All right. And how about prices? Because Italian food can get a little pricey. Sure. Um, I would say that Monolu is pretty average. Um, Most of the entrees range from about $10 to $20. You know, if you get a seafood dish, it's definitely going to be a little more on the pricey side. But if you get something... You know, like a baked ziti, it'll probably be around, I think it's like 11 or $12. So not that high. All right. Awesome. Well, of course, anyone can read it. And Thursday's edition of 72 Hours, and they definitely should. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. 
You can read more from Katrina, Colin, and me at fredericknewspost.com. And follow us on Twitter at Fred News Post. Frederick and Cut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week. Thank you.